Welcome to Beyond the Pink Cloud, the podcast where we talk about moving forward in our lives through recovery and navigating the world with grace, ease, and humor. We've got tools and strategies from the experts to help you live with less stress and increased ease. Let's get into today's episode. Thank you for being here and for checking out the podcast. As always, I appreciate it so much and and love that you enjoy the show. We've got a great episode today with Emily Golden. We will get into her work and her her new book that's out, The New Golden Rule, which, uh, spoiler alert, The New Golden Rule is to treat yourself the way you want other people to treat you which I think is quite lovely and, you know, really gives you something to think about because the way we talk to ourselves can be so harsh and unforgiving and relentless sometimes. So I think if we can really begin to to talk to ourselves the way that we would like for others to, to relate and speak to us, it really helps to build that connection with ourself in a meaningful way always something to work on. And, and that building that connection is something I've been really invested in lately with, uh, we just wrapped up or today's the last day. This will come out on Friday, reclaim your inner wild, the three day workshop that I put on in my Facebook group. And if you'd like to watch the, the recordings, even if you didn't make it live, it's, you know, three days of 30 minutes each with some, just a, some introductory techniques to feeding this part of ourselves that like longs and yearns to, to be wild, to be fully expressed in the world with big creativity and grounded movement. So we, we touched into that a little bit in the three days. And if you'd like to come and join the Facebook group, the videos will be up for a week, a week until Wednesday, Wednesday to Wednesday. So I'd love to, I'd love to have you and, and share, share this work because I think it's profoundly important in deepening and, and truly reclaiming our connection to ourselves. And I I think we need it now more than ever. And so I hope you're taking really good care of yourself with, uh, here in the United States, the election approaching, and as well as, you know, we continue to be in this prolonged COVID uncertainty worldwide, which is just, it's bizarre, unprecedented. So I, I do hope you're taking good care of yourselves, whatever that looks like for you. You know, I kind of had this day that was represented by the, my bagel halves. So I go to, I want to make this salmon bagel and I'm digging through the fridge because I think we have bagels. And then I find two separate bags and there's a, a half in each bag but they were both like the flat halves. <laughs> and I just, I just thought, wow, this is such a good representation of my day to day. Cause it's been a challenge. Uh, and I think we all have those, those two flat halves of the bagel days. And if you're having one of those days today, or if you've had one this week, then just know that they, they do shift and change like everything. Upcoming November 9th, I'm launching a four week program called sober, calm, and wild. I'm excited about this. It's going to be a new edition of the Sober and Calm course that I've run a few times this year with really wonderful results for all the people involved. It's a lot of fun and it's quite a profound introduction to many of the somatic experiencing techniques that I that I use in my work, that I use personally and that yield, you know, really profound results along these same lines of coming back to ourselves, of self-connecting. Uh, of working through, you know, past trauma and of, of being able to be in the world as a sober woman, as an empowered sober woman present and in my body. And this is what we, what we go through in the classes. How can we touch into this inner wild from a place that is deeply rooted and deeply grounded? And if this is interesting to you, if you would like to go deeper with these techniques, um, you can check out the the page I'll post it here in the show notes. The course will start November 9th. There is early bird pricing of 197 until November 5th. So if you're interested, take advantage of it. It'll run for four weeks. And I, again, I think, I think we need these tools now more than ever, because not only do we need to, to be able to have access to that deep calm, but we also need access to agency. 
you know, to the agency within us and to not be worried about people pleasing or trying to negotiate boundaries. But this is the time to come into ourselves and express ourselves like from really the the deepest place of our essential being. So I'm excited about that course. It's a little bit new, a little different, and I'm, I've just been really feeling it. So it feels good to, to birth it to the world and to share it with other people who are, who are on the same journey and on the same path and interested and going deeper. Thank you again for, for being here. We'll get into the show now. Um, if you like the podcast and could leave a review, that's my, that's my one request for you today. I know it's sometimes it's a pain because, you know, it's just a pain to do stuff like that. I get it. But if you could leave a review, it means a lot to me. And it's really cool to know people like and listen to the podcast. So without further ado, here we go. Next week, we have another great guest, uh, a shaman and somatic experiencing practitioner. So enjoy this episode with Emily. And again, please take beautiful care of yourselves out there. Hi, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Beyond the Pink Cloud. This is your host, Dr. Alice Kirby. And today I have with me Emily Golden. And Emily is a professional certified coach who specializes in executive leadership and career coaching. Emily's ontological approach allows individuals to clarify their goals, shift beliefs and habits, take risks, execute brilliance, and make quantum leaps rather than incremental improvements. Her patience and brilliance allows others to discover aha moments that enable what once seemed impossible. As a result, her clients emerge as leaders who bring value, impact, and connection to their professional and personal lives. Emily also has recently released a new book called The New Golden Rule. Hi, Emily. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Alice. You're welcome. So can you tell us a little bit about just your work and sort of what brought you to where you are now? I know that um, Emily is a, is a professional certified coach, soon to be a master certified coach and an author and has a booming practice, but I know you also have a background in the HR field. Yes. So um, yes, great, great question. So what brought me here? Um, I always had a love for working with people. And um, I went to college and actually thought I would become an accountant because that made no sense, but I was good at math. So my father said, you're good at math, go be an accountant. Um, that started a long journey of trying to figure out who I was. I wound up switching into social psychology and graduated from college getting a degree in business and social psychology and found my way to human resources. Um, I had a nice career in human resources and I was happy-ish, um, though it felt like something was missing. Hmm. Um, but my life was moving along. And then in, and I was continuing to kind of to climb the corporate ladder in talent acquisition and um, doing human resources generalist work in the corporate world. Um, and by all measures, successful. And in 2010, my then five-year-old daughter was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. And I share that because it was a defining moment in my life. Um, it was that moment that I said, I don't, I can't continue to do work that isn't feeding my soul hmm. when I'm coming home and I'm challenged by um, a situation that I had no idea I was going to be facing, right? Anytime we have a child, we don't know what is going to come. And, you know, it, for me, the diagnosis was so shocking because she was seemingly fine. One, and then one day she was not. And mm. fast forward, she's, she's doing great. She'll be 16. And I've learned so much about this disorder, but it was the greatest gift to me after I got past the initial, you know, shock and pain of it, because it had me really get in touch with who I am and, and, and what I wanted. Um, and so that began a journey, which took me about five years to figure out what I wanted to be when I grow up. Um, and all the while I had to stay employed because, well, we had two kids <laughs> to, to, to pay for and a mortgage and lots of expenses. So I, I remained employed and I continued to get promotions as I knew what I was doing professionally was just really a, um, 
a, a holding um, a holding spot for something else. Um, and I, when I found coaching, which was partly to help me figure out what I wanted, um, but quickly became the thing I fell in love with, it was just unnatural. It fit me like a glove. All the things I loved about the work in HR, being able to see other people's greatness and um, their talents and their superpowers um, was something that I could put to use every single day. Um, and so the rest is history, um, except for three years later, my son was diagnosed with Tourette as well. And uh, again, very much has informed the path. My two children have really been a huge, huge part of, of my journey. Wow. Is it, is Tourette's, and this is not even really on this topic at all, but are there genetic components? Is it common that it'll show up in families like that? It is. Yeah. So one doctor explained to me that, um, that my daughter had a, if she, if she had a sister, a sibling that a full sibling, that was a sister, she had, that sister had a 30% chance of contracting it. And, um, any brother had a 50% chance of contracting it. So I don't know where those statistics come from, but there is definitely a genetic component and no, there is no one in the family that has it. There are ticks on one side, anxiety on the other. Um, it's just what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and as my kids will tell you, everyone's got something, mom. Yeah. Um, that's the language in my house. That's great. Um, and it's true. I mean, everyone does have something. I think you, you probably find that professionally as well in the work that you do with why, why people are like holding themselves back or unable to take that next step to do work that does really fulfill them. And I guess I'm curious too about advice you might have for people or things that you've seen in your practice where is there oftentimes, I, I feel like we labor under a misapprehension that there needs to be a big shift or something big needs to happen in order to take that leap and mm -hmm. to make that leap of faith. And so I guess my question is, do you have advice for anyone who's kind of mulling it over, but they're fine um, so that yeah. they, they don't have to wait until things, you know, something really big shakes things up? Yep. So, um, please don't wait until God forbid you get sick or someone in your life gets sick, um, for that, for it, you to have that wake up call that moment. The truth is Alice, I knew that I was in the wrong job and in the wrong career. It took my daughter getting this diagnosis for me to say, I can't do it anymore. And probably for me to have the courage, had I had a coach, I would have gotten there much sooner. When um, a lot of people come to me when they're feeling like a general um, dissatisfaction, but on paper, they have everything they ever wanted. And they're like, this doesn't make sense. And I'm almost ashamed to admit that I don't feel satisfied. Mm -hmm. I should feel satisfied, right? And this is embarrassing, Emily. I don't feel satisfied. What's missing? So no, you don't have to have a, 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 a break, a breakdown moment or something awful happen. And in fact, I wish for you to not, I hope for you, for, I hope for you to not. There's a voice inside of you that's often um, giving you messages. I like to say the universe was throwing little pebbles at me and then they were rocks, and then they were bigger rocks, and eventually they were boulders, and I just, I couldn't not listen. I love that analogy of like throwing the pebbles, and then the rocks got bigger and bigger, um, and I, I asked that question partly because, A, I, I sort of, I see that mentality a lot, like in the entrepreneurial, you know, world that I'm in, um, in like master classes and things like that, but also in um, the field with sobriety. And so it's really wonderful now because I work frequently with sober women. It's wonderful now that they're the stigma around like, well, hit your rock bottom first and then make a change. That's starting to change. Um, and I think it's really important in, in both of these fields to just notice like, oh, we don't, or to have the awareness. And I think maybe even a little bit the, like the permission of, oh, it's okay to not be satisfied. And, and I'm really glad you brought up that piece around shame because I don't think that gets talked about enough. And I'm, I'm curious as to your take on that and, and, or like how you help people kind of work with that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a lover of Brene Brown's work. Me too. 
and she talks a lot about shame. And I don't, I don't know exactly how she says it. It's something eloquent and beautiful the way she, she, she says things, but it's something about shame and shame having carrying so much less energy when you share it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so it is very frequent that my clients will be sharing something with me or someone who comes to, to me for potentially to become a coaching client. And I'll point to, Hey, it sounds like there's some shame in your space. So someone will come to me and I'll reflect to them. It sounds like there's some shame in your space. And often it's the first time that it's been labeled that for them. And it's just, it's a relief. Mm. And then once they continue to, as they continue to talk about it, it just, it's less weighty for them. Um, So I absolutely believe that, that a lot of what is holding people back is this stack of shame as I talk about it. And the way to lighten the load is to talk about it, is to bring it to light, is to recognize shame is different than guilt, right? Guilt is I am a bad person. Shame, I'm sorry, shame is I am a bad person. Guilt is I did a bad thing. Um, and, and, and it's such an important, important distinction. And I'm, I'm really a big fan of just being real about it. And all of us, all of us have a level of, you know, feel a level of shame. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I love that you brought up Brene Brown's work because she is such a a wonderful resource on, on this whole topic of shame. And it's so simple really to just bring it to light, but it also can feel so hard. And I mean, I think that's part of how the shame like gets its grips is to it's like we feel like we're digging out of this this weird well of darkness of around shame, or it can feel that way to some extent. And to have someone such as yourself yourself speak so openly, like, oh no, just you know, we 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 can talk about it, we can shed some light on it, and then it becomes easier to navigate, and the well becomes you know maybe less of a well and more open. I don't know what the well could turn into, but something less. Well, deep. I- I love that. And I talk about it like it, it feels like an ocean. Like I don't want to dip my toe in there because it's deep and I'll get sucked in. But actually mm-hmm. once I do dip my toe, I realize it's just a little puddle. Yeah. Like I like that, that too. Analogies are great or metaphors maybe. Um, yeah. And so I know you also work around with imposter syndrome a lot. And again, this is something that I know comes up for me. I actually had this moment today. I had a call with this um, really great guy who'd found my work online and he's a therapist and he just wanted to kind of connect and chat. And, and so we had this, you know, nice phone chat and uh, I think I'm going to do something for his men's group and do a presentation. And, and I got off the call and I'm sitting in my car at the co-op and I just had this moment of like, oh man, I'm a professional. Like really? (laughs) It's like, of course I am. But just those moments of feeling like it, I feel like most of the time I don't. Um, And so, and I'm like turning red, even just talking about it. Um, And so I'm curious if you could just share a little bit about imposter syndrome and you know, why is this something that so many of us who, who are professionals and who have advanced degrees, like still struggle with? And I know that's a deep question and there's many layers to it, but I know it's something you work with a lot. So I'd love your take on it. I do. I do. Um, So I first heard of this concept when I was a teenager um, from my father, who is a successful tax attorney. And it was shocking to me. I heard it because he was talking about it and related it to himself. And this is the man I had on a pedestal. I'm like, what? he doubts himself. He has moments of doubt. And I, I, it was at that moment that I realized this is like, if he has doubts, then like everyone must. Right. Um, and I've studied this throughout my life. And when I became a coach, it was just a natural place I was drawn to, um, in terms of, of, of doing the work. Of course I feel it myself too. Um, and I actually have framed it up in my mind that if there isn't a bit of imposter syndrome in my space, I'm not playing big enough. Mm. So I know that it's time to level up in my business when I'm not feeling stretched, like I'm not feeling like a bit of an imposter. Um, It is a natural, it's like a survival instinct 
to say, who am I to be doing this? Who am I? Yes, I have the degree. And I thought once I got the degree or I got that certification, then I would feel like I belong here. But the truth is your brain is always looking for evidence that you're not safe so that it can protect you. So it's a totally natural phenomenon. If we don't pay attention to it and we're just on automatic reacting to it, we wind up doing silly things like, uh, okay, this might not be a silly thing, but sometimes we'll amass all of these degrees and we're like, I still don't feel like I have enough. Or I'll hear things like, well, Emily, I could never be an executive coach because I don't have the amount of corporate experience that you have. Or, um, you know, people will compare to others and say, well, I can't do it because I don't have exactly what that person has. But I say, you've got what you have and, and, and own it. The goal isn't to get rid of imposter syndrome. It's to turn the voice down so that it's not ruling you. And then to make sure that you're playing on big enough stages so that you always feel a tinge of that. And when you don't, you got to play bigger. Mm. That's my world. I love that. I love using it as a, as like, as a guideline is even as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, that's really true. It's like when I know I've got like a certain level of kind of uncomfortableness around what I'm doing, that it's, that's what I should be doing. Um, yeah, yeah, that's great. And you talk also about emotional intelligence and I know you use, I believe it's a tool, the EQI 2.0. Yeah. So yes. I'm curious if you could give sort of your definition of emotional intelligence, talk a little bit about this tool and how that might benefit people, how it plays into your work. Yeah. Um, so along these lines, um, and I talk about my parents a lot because they are my heart. Um, in fact, my book is dedicated to my mom. Um, maybe book number two will be dedicated to my dad. Um, both my parents spoke about emotional intelligence. Now I'm, um, I struggled with learning disabilities. Um, this is also part of my journey. And in my book, I share my daughter's diagnosis with Tourette was one of the many bumps in a very bumpy road. Um, having learning disabilities and these challenges, you know, was, was kind of part of my experience as a child. Um, but my parents always told me the thing that you have that other people don't, or that many other people don't is, is emotional intelligence. And so they didn't really know what that meant. They they kind of had an assumption about what that meant. Um, And I didn't really know what that meant. I kind of equated it to, well, I guess street smarts, or I knew how to get along with people. I always had a million friends. Um, And so I became fascinated with this concept as well um, and, and started studying it more and more as I was in HR and then, you know, becoming a coach. So the way I refer to when I decided to formalize this and become an emotional intelligence coach, um, I looked at the different tools that were out there and I decided on the EQI 2.0, which is one of many assessments. Um, It's the one that I felt was robust, the robust, the most robust tool out there gave the fullest um, way to assess and evaluate in the workplace. So that's why I chose this particular tool. And it measures, it looks at emotional intelligence as a set of emotional and social skills that collectively establishes how well we perceive and express ourselves, how well we develop and maintain social relationships, how well we cope with challenges, and how well we use emotional information in an effective and meaningful way. So um, it really covers the gamut. And um, the the reality is that I have emotion, high emotional intelligence in certain areas. And in other areas, of course, there, there are opportunities for me to grow. And that's just like any of my clients. Yeah. I, and I love that you, you call it an opportunity for growth. That's such a nicer way to look at things. And <laughs> Um, and I like that you, you just mentioned that too, cause I know on your, in your bio, on your webpage, you talk about being able to both see the blind spots with your clients or to help your clients see, you know, blind spots they may have in their lives, as well as to really identify like their superpowers or the ways in which they might fit into a certain uh, new career, new career path. Can you talk a little bit about 
I don't know, your ability to do that. And then I guess I'm also curious too, if you find that these are like inversely related at all, like the blind spots and the, and the hidden strengths. Mm -hmm. So the first question I'll take is um, around how I do that. So we all, I believe, are given gifts from the divine God, the universe, whatever you believe. And my gift is being able to see other people's strengths. Hmm. Um, I have built a muscle around being able to see other people's blind spots. That wasn't always the case. Um, how do I do it? Um, I've had a lot of training around it. So um, it's, it's often the case, yes, that when I have a very um, determined, disciplined, um, hardworking, achievement-oriented human that I'm coaching, um, there's often a blind spot of connection with others and ability to relax and um, even be connected, not just connected with other people, but connected with themselves. So um, there's a blind spot of that like, um, go, 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 but not knowing how to relax and, and, and turn it down. That doesn't mean that everyone that is achievement oriented and striving for excellence and determined and all of that can't relax. That's not the case, but these two things often, you know, come, come together, go, um, show up together. Um, and, you know, in terms of um, blind spot identification, sometimes it takes me a little bit of time to really be able to see what my client's blind spot is. Um, and, and any skilled coach works with an individual over time and in a relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not a let's meet once, like one and done. And, oh, here's what, here's what's going on. And, you know, here's what's in your way and here's how to, how to shift, right? It's really about a relationship. I learn as much about my client in our relationship one-on-one -on -one as I do in coaching them around the, the challenges that they're having. How they're showing up with me is how they're showing up in life. Um, where they're stopped and blocked with me, are there blind spots with other people? Are there stops and their blocks with other people? Um, so that's a that's a bit about the the blind spots. And yes, of course, I mean there are um, there are uh, connections. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other common blind spots. So a blind spot. Um, I have a lot of really creative, big idea, strategic minded clients. Um, and there's often a blind spot of being able to tactically kind of put that strategy or that big idea into practice. So we can spin in the idea of it and I'll often have to, you know, okay, let's take a moment and just anchor. What are we actually talking about and what are we, what are we going to walk away from this session with that's going to actually make a difference for you? What are the actions that you're going to take on as a result of this? Um, so yeah, I mean, the, that, that piece of my work, the superpower and the blind spot is blind spots are, um, I love, I love this part of the work and it, it evolves and develops over time and clients that I've worked with for years, um, their superpowers evolve and their blind spots morph and shift as they work on one thing and they, they level up in one area, often, you know, new blind spots emerge. We're all a work in process. That's just Definitely. how it goes. It is how it goes. I think that's part of being alive. You know, if we're not, if we're not working on something, I think then it's kind of back to that sort of stagnant place. Um, and is there any sure anything you recommend for people as far as trying to self-identify or to just become a little more clear on areas where they may be blocked or have blind spots? Mm -hmm. um, it's really powerful. And I talk about this in my book. I have a ton of exercises in my book. Um, so definitely we'll make sure to you'll make sure to put the information yeah. in the show notes so that people can get the exercises in the book. But um, I think it's a really powerful, powerful thing to go out and talk to other people, to ask other people, um, hey, 
what are my superpowers? What do I do? Like what, what, what do I bring to a room? What's the thing you can always count on me for? And what's something that's in my blind spot? What's something that um, everyone knows about me that you just assume I know that I might not? Like that thing, like that I always show up late. You know, that's not mine, but for example, that I'm always behind. Or um, we know that we'll text, you know, the, I have a friend who like, everyone knows that you text this particular friend and that friend never ever responds and it people don't take it in the friend group personally um but that's like that to me is a is a blind spot and it, you know i think people have reflected it i'm not sure this individual note recognizes the impact of that um and so when um when i'm working with someone and i send them out into the field to do this exercise um i love getting back the uh interview results and then we can pull them apart and we can see what we make of them it is something that um, i would definitely recommend if you're going to go out and do this that you work with someone to help you unpack what you find um, because it can be a little bit triggering Absolutely. And I love that you said that too. And I do want to hear more about your book. Um, so it's called The New Golden Rule. Tell us yes. more about it. And thank you for, for saying that you have the exercises in there, but I'd love to hear more about sort of your process with even what made you want to write a book. Um, so I was never going to be an entrepreneur. That was someone else's dream. And then, it ha and then I became an entrepreneur and I was never going to write a book. And then I wrote a book. So never say never. Um, I got the bug in March of 2019 and realized, and, and I got the bug because I am so passionate about the work I do and I could talk about it all the time. Like my husband will say to me, enough already, right? Like, can we can, can, like focus on something else? I'm like, no, I can't. I This is my my passion. I'm, I would say I'm having a love affair with my, with my career. Hmm. Um, and I'm totally okay with that, by the way, like as a woman, as a mom, um, you know, as, as, as a, as a wife, as a friend, like I am so okay that I wholeheartedly love my career. As long as I'm taking care of myself and taking care of my family, I am so fine loving my career the way that I do. Um, so I, I got that idea in March of 19 and it just took off from there. Um, once I had the idea that I was going to write a book, um, I started to talk to people about what they would want to see in a book. Um, I started asking about emotional intelligence. I started reaching out to people. I was like, hey, I'm thinking about writing a book. Can I interview you about leadership in the workplace? And people responded. I started reconnecting with um, individuals I had worked with in my career. And it just got, there was so much energy behind it and so much excitement that I formalized the project. I remember it was July um, of last year and we were out in Colorado on vacation, my husband, my brother-in-law, my sister. And I said, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm writing a book. And I was pretty quiet about it because um, I was busy working between then and like November timeframe. And I then got created this manuscript. I submitted it to a hybrid publisher. And the next thing I know, I had an offer to publish the book. I'm like, so this is unbelievable. And now it's gone through a million iterations. It feels like not really, but many, many iterations. And the book is a third my story. And, um, I'm not really interesting, but my story, I don't think, but my story has a lot of, like I said, like bumps, like a lot of bumps, things that from what people tell me, many people would not be able to get back up from. And I have, so that's kind of cool. So I weave that in with the, um, my process, my coaching process and vignettes from my clients um, of course, permission from all my clients and names have been changed and all of that, but, um, it's just, I love this, this book. Like I, it is my third child. Um, the gestation period with this book was much longer than my children. And it sits on my bookshelf in between the pictures of my kids. Um, it's called the new golden rule because, well, my last name is golden. So I had to play off that. Um, and the new golden rule 
flips the old golden rule on its head. So the old golden rule is to treat others the way you want to be treated. And the new golden rule is to treat yourself the way you want other people to treat you. Hmm. It's all about the relationship that you have with you as the absolute foundation to everything in your life. Yeah. That's where it all starts. Definitely. 110%. I love that you wrote a book about it. And, and I love the, the way that you weaved your story and weaved in vignettes. Um, what was your actual writing process like? Did you wake up early? I always ask writers this. I'm like, so when did you actually write? Did you have a schedule? Were you one of the 5 a.m. writers? No. Mm-mm. <laughs> um, Good. I, I'm glad someone wrote at a different time of day. Oh, no. I, I've tried that 5 a.m. thing, by the way. I, like, I, I, de- I declared one day, I was talking to my coach. I'm like, I'm going to start getting up at 5 a.m. and do the thing that everyone says you do when you are a productive entrepreneur. And I did it. And by one o'clock, I had to take a nap every day. It just did not work for me. Mm-hmm. So um, my writing process was, first off, pull in a lot of support. So I had someone working with me, helping to transcribe my audios. So I wrote my book very largely on my um, voice memos on my phone while I was walking my dog. And um, because the... Truth is that for me, my most generative moments come when I am moving my body. Mm-hmm. And when I figured, once I figured that out, it was, and that was a few years ago, it was like, like the magic happened. So um, I would record into an audio. I had someone helping me to transcribe and helping me to organize everything. Um, one of the things that you'll hear about me in the book and that I talk about very frequently is um, kind of a secret to success, I believe for all of us, is um, calling in radical support. And that means asking for help in any and every way that you possibly can. So that's what I did with this book. Um, I would use my coaching sessions. I get coached at least once a week at many times I have more than one coach. So I would use every coaching session to talk about this book and to actually create in those sessions. Um, I pulled coaching um, notes from the years past and used those as part of this process. So um, I am not someone who was locked away um, in a house on the beach, which would be amazing, by the way, like book number (laughs) two to five. I'm definitely doing that. Um, But no, that was not the process. It was um, patchwork. It was messy. Um, and I'm so proud of this product and it's kind of representative of like how my life works. It is not, it's my book is the professional perfectionist guide to greater emotional intelligence, a more fulfilling career and a better life. Spoiler alert. There is nothing perfect about this life over here. That's so wonderful. I love, I can just feel how passionate you are and like your enthusiasm and excitement with what you're doing. And I, I love it so much. And I think we do need, like all of us need some of this, you know, in our lives, if we're not feeling this passion around our, our work. And I say, you know, in our lives in general, but we spend a lot of time at work. Most of us, it's a big chunk of our lives. And so if there isn't, you know, some sense of passion and excitement and enthusiasm and like where you do want to talk about it all the time, my, my boyfriend really does get tired of me talking about what I do as well, where, I have to, you know, sort of think up other topics sometimes, um, but we need it so much. And I love, I love what you said too, a little bit about, and congratulations on your book. I think it's tremendous when anyone can write a book and get it published and now it's on your bookshelf. It's amazing. It's like, yeah, I applaud you. Thanks, for, Alice. Yeah, you're welcome. And, and I love what you said about writing too. In Amy Poehler's biography, she talks about her writing process a little bit in the, like in the preface of the intro and she says a very, she has a very similar story where it's very patched together and she would write some time when her kid's like sleeping on her and um, jotting things down when she can. And I love also the, the radical support piece where I think as much as we can create that in our lives, whether it's around a big project like that, whether it's around just being in the, you know, whatever eighth month of COVID and we 
it's wearing on us. It's like, how can I build support in for myself? And what resources do I already have that I can call on? And again, it doesn't have to necessarily be this big shift. Um, and I guess my, if I'm getting, you know, ramble to a question here, I'll talk just a little, <laughs> another minute or two before I actually have a question, because I love this piece about connecting with ourselves and how that's the foundation for everything. And that's the the bottom line for everything. And, you know, as I mentioned, I work with sobriety and women that are, you know, working actively with alcohol addiction or moving through it. And so much of that work I see is really what, what is being craved through some of the alcohol use. And I think this really can be with workaholism, with any kind of maladaptive behavior. It's this wanting this deep connection to ourselves and not knowing how to, how to get it. And I think eventually that becomes so painful that, you know, we use things like substances or we use things like work to numb out and to not like have this relationship with ourselves because we just want to feel okay. And it's a very long-winded way, I guess, of asking if you've seen um, like addictive patterns, whether it be alcohol or workaholism or even food or like exercise addiction, if you've seen a lot of that in your work, particularly in the high achieving community, because I feel like that goes hand in hand and, and maybe what some of the changes have been in the clients that you've worked with um, and doing the work with you. Excellent question. And I will start with... I will start, but I'll start with myself. Um, I um, have not, so I definitely have had periods of in my life where I've had disordered eating um, and a relationship with my body that where I'm trying to control something that it, it's like, it doesn't make sense. It's just, I know it doesn't make sense, but it's this I, like need to control. Right. And it's, it's a desire. It's a deep, deep desire to connect with myself. I know that now. Um, and also I have at times been a workaholic. Um, and so that's why it's, it's like weird for me to have this fully empowered relationship with my work now, because for so long it was disempowered and I was like a victim to it. Um, so absolutely this is a big part of the work and the high performers that I work with are, this is, this is part of their makeup. Um, not always, but often I see it. Um, they're working towards, uh, this, this, this goal or this like thing that's going to have them finally feel better. Um, and they're almost using that thing as the validation. Like once I get there, then, then I'll be there and then I'll finally feel those feelings that I'm craving. Um, but what I know is it's, it's really um, about this need to deeply connect with themselves and to fully, fully accept themselves. There's a rejection of self that is going on. And I know this because it's, it's a demon that I battled myself. And when I say I battled it, it's not that I'm in a perfect relationship with it now, but I went to the doctor today for my annual checkup and I got on the scale and I was like, Oh, I gained a few pounds. And like, I'm so happy that I don't actually care. Yeah. That is a breakthrough. Right. Um, and it, you know, it comes down to loving yourself and it's so cliche. And I know when I say it, people are like, "Ugh, enough with the self-compassion and the self-love and the book. It's where it starts. And I talk about it in my book and I give so many examples of the breakthroughs that people have had, even in just liking themselves, just like yourself a little bit, the beating up that we do of ourselves. And then the beating up we do of other people, even if we're not verbalizing it, that we're thinking it, we're judging, right? It's, it's a, it's not a it's not the best way to live. It's, as I say to my clients, it's not your best look. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And what are some ways that people, and I'm sure that you have more information on this in your book, but even just for the listeners now, like what, what are one or two things that you have found helpful for yourself or for your clients in reestablishing some of that connection or really practical strategies around building self-love. I actually have a Facebook group called the self-love project with like, I like practicality and strategies because I think it can become this like self-love is this amorphous concept, which sort of bugs the crap out of me because I, I know how much it works, but I'm like, yes, but 
And like, what are we doing about it? Like what, what are we doing daily in our lives and how are we talking to ourselves? And are we aware of when we're doing these judgy thoughts? So I'm sure you yep. have some tremendous nuggets um, yep. around this. I'd love to hear. So going back to radical support, um, and this is super, super important, especially for women, because there's um, most women are caretakers or have this caretaking thing. And they're like, I don't want to ask for help because you know that's a sign of weakness, right? So having a group of champions, a group of people that you turn to that you can get acknowledgement from. And it's not acknowledgement on Alice, you know, the way you did that podcast was so great, but rather Alice, the warmth and the love and the energy that you brought to that podcast was so connected and, and compassionate, you know, and, and, and I saw you, right? So acknowledging who you be the being of you rather than what it is that you're doing. So number one is having a group of champions that acknowledge you, not from needy, from just recognizing the essence of who you are. Um, and you do that for them. And this is a very select group of people. Um, so, so that's a really important thing. Two is carving out time to either be still or be in movement, depending on what it is your body is craving. Your body's craving something, but listen to your body. Yeah. Listen, it's talking to you. All the time. All the time. And then I would say, um, I mean, there's so many more. Um, I, I love um, finding, I love accessing joy and, and, and fun. So um, my favorite way to do this is to sing in the car really loud. Mm. And it's even better if I do it with my daughter. My voice is horrible. So when she has a good voice, so when she tolerates me, we sing and we just bring joy, right? We just bring joy and fun and light into, into the car. And it's can be five minutes and it, it makes a difference, right? It's, it's that I have like that I'm worth it, that, that, I'm worth taking five minutes out of my day and not being so hyper-focused on where, what I'm producing and where I'm going and just enjoying. Yeah. 110%. I think that's part of the key to, it is the key. This is a lot of what I teach. The key to creating a life where we have more enjoyment is to slow down and recognize when we're having moments of enjoyment as they're happening, because then it like trains our nervous system and trains our bodies and our minds like, Oh, I can have this neat. Like, let's have more of this. Um, and it's just an easier. There's way. one other, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, it's fine. It's just easier. Yeah. Go on. I'd love to hear the, the next one. There's one, one more little hack. Um, so I have a Keurig, um, and I brew my coffee. It takes, a, I don't know, 30 seconds. And I have a gratitude journal by my, my, my coffee machine. And it is now, it's like, you know, that habit stacking. So if you're trying to build a new habit, you have to like stack it with, it's best to stack it with something else. So while I'm brewing my coffee, I always, I open my, my journal and I write down five gratitudes every day. And, um, that has trained my brain that coffee is, I love my coffee in the morning and I get the joy of having to train my brain to look outside of me for something to be grateful for. And sometimes it's something inside of me, right? Um, maybe it's like a cozy sweater or, you know, something on my body um, or, you know, just a beautiful day. But that has been, that has really shifted my, like the way I start my day. Um, and the beautiful thing that's happened is my daughter and my husband every now and then we'll grab my gratitude journal and write something in it. And so I get this nice little treat and then I have like, you know, double gratitudes for that day. Cause, um, and, and I, it's just, it fills my heart and you know, they, they laugh because I'm so focused on all of this goodness. Um, but they laugh and I know that at the end of the day, they really appreciate it. Yeah. Because the energy in the house is positive. Yeah. And what a gift. I mean, what a wonderful way to grow up. It sounds like you had a lot of positive energy in your house too, as a child. And 
um, parents who even knew the words emotional intelligence, which I don't think were that popular um, very long ago, probably when, when you were a child. So I think that's so great. I, I love, I love working with parents because I'm, because I want the kids to have more of an environment like that to grow up in. I think it's oh, yeah. really, yeah, meaningful work. So Thanks. what is the single most important piece of guidance you have for any of our listeners who are working on themselves today? Um, well, it, it's the golden rule. It's the new golden rule. It's to treat themselves the way they want other people to treat them. So um, instead of handing off the power to others, instead of um, looking to other people to either have them feel good or feel frustrated, it's treat yourself the way that you truly want to be treated. It's available, even in those little moments, especially in those little moments. Yeah, I mean, the little moments are what really make up our life. Well, thank you, Emily, so much for coming on. And then I like to give people a platform. I know we'll definitely link your book so people know where they can go and get that. But is there anything else that you're working on or that you'd like to promote or let the listeners know about? And we'll put all of your links where people can come and find you. Emily has a great website. I definitely recommend going and check that out. There's a lot of really wonderful testimonials on there too. I love the way people talk about you who have worked with you and um, it's great accolades. I always love reading testimonials. Thank you. Uh, but anything else that you're Thank actively you. working on that you want to talk about? Um, I've always got a, a lot going on. I would say it, the, the focus right now is really the book. Um, I, I play um, in terms of where I am on social media. I really play on LinkedIn. Um, my, my clients tend to be professionals. So that's where I am. And um, yeah, come, come play with me. Come hang out with me on, on LinkedIn and you can also, if you go onto my website, you can join my mailing list. I don't send a lot of emails once a month. I, 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 send, I send an email and sometimes there's a video in there. Um, I just really like to add value and make sure that my view, that I'm, I'm, I'm getting my view out there because um, I see the world a little bit differently. Yeah, that's great. I might sign up for your mailing list. I like your view. <laughs> Thanks, Alice. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Thank you so much for being here. And um, thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time.